we are in a series called Life, which is living in whatever that word is every day. Today, what I'm hoping to do is to unbox this conversation about faith. Um, as I said before, faith kind of becomes like this redheaded stepchild where we only bring them into the conversation when we need them. And if you're redheaded and a stepchild, I, I really apologize. I don't, you know, identify with that affinity. But when it comes to faith, um, th the most important thing is that we really understand two things, how to build it and where does it come from. Because if you know how to build it and where it comes from, you won't have to wait to come into an environment like this to have faith. You'll just have it everywhere. You'll be able to walk in it. You'll be able to speak through it. Like, regardless of what comes at you, you're going to be able to use your faith and activate it, and it, God's going to be able to move through you by yourself, right? So as I was talking with Pastor Martin this week, um, every week we take about at least an hour or two to really sit down and look through doctrine. Can you say doctrine? Basically, what doctrine means is it's how a man thinks about God's word. So what Pastor Martin used to say all the time is check your doctrine. Look at your neighbor and say, check your doctrine. Check your doctrine. Check your doctrine. Because what happens is that your doctrine is the lens by which you uh, interpret the word. So if I'm going to be teaching you at all times, my doctrine, my lens of how I read the word has to be checked by somebody in senior authority. Meaning that I have to submit what I'm going to teach to the man of God, the man of the house, so that when I teach, I'm in right standing with two people, the man of God who has the vision for the house and God himself. Because you need to stop going to churches and just eating the fruit of every person because sometimes it's poison. So today we're going to talk about faith. Look at your neighbor say faith. And I'll give you my, my actual title in a second. So all you leaning on your seat, I'll, I'll give it to you. But that's my hook, line, sinker, and my, my, my hook. So everybody, op I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. I'm sorry? Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. When we're looking at Hebrews, the entire book, I mean, I'm sorry, the entire chapter of 11, the writer basically explains to us how faith applied changes any and every circumstance. How when you activate your faith, like that's like the first part. It's not prayer. It's not giving an offering. It's not crying out to God. It's not bringing your tithes. It's not bringing your first fruit. But when we understand, when you activate your faith, that's the first step. Look at your neighbor and say, that's the first step. <laughs> now listen, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, listen to this. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth what? Living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what? Distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. But listen what happens in the third verse. By faith, we do what? We see the world called into existence by what? God's word, which means that God had to use his faith to create anyway. So we are out of line if we try to live our life with faith as an additive. It's not the additive, it's the foundation. Man, that'll preach right there. Now listen to this. That we see created by what we don't see. The sixth verse says this. It's impossible to please who? God. Apart from what? It is impossible to do what? Please God apart from? It is impossible for you to do what? Without what? So you cannot please God if your faith muscle is broken. Your prayers won't work. Your tithe won't work. Anything that you put into the ground, your faith is the water source of your life. So if your water duct is broken, you won't have any growth. 
what we just read takes care of the entire sermon, that Jesus Christ, God himself, had to use his faith to call the stars out of nowhere, which means that it's nothing that separates you and God. You have the same faith. There is no God type of faith and human type of faith. Remember Genesis 1 where we were created just like God? God looked at us. He said, man, that's good. He did what? He grabbed us, grabbed us by our mouth and said, breathe the breath of life into us. And as soon as that happened, we literally became like God, which means that we are God's little G, right? So that means that if God has faith, you have to what? Operate in it. You have no choice. You don't get to make up your mind, I have a weak faith life. That's not our job to fix it. It's your job. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. So there are three things that we found out inside of this verse, inside of this chapter. The first thing that we realize is that faith is our currency. Your faith literally gives you the buying rights to what God has for you. You know how we speak about uh, uh, um, when when we speak over our, our giving? If you're just saying it, you do not claim it. What you have to do is attach your faith to what you say, and then it literally is like putting a dollar stamp mark on what you want, and God, you literally buy from God rightfully what he's owed to you. The second thing that we understand from this verse, this verse is that faith is a lens. In a couple of other versions, if you look at it in the, um, in the King James Version, um, it says that faith is the substance of things and the evidence of things, which basically means that when you're looking at things, it takes no faith to see what's in front of your natural eye because it's there. But God has created us as spiritual beings first, which means that our spiritual eyes have to work by faith, not by what these work with. The third thing that we understand from this, chap- from this verse is that faith sets us apart. It says that faith from our ancestors distinguished them and set them apart from other people. That means that if you have any other part of your life that's not working out, if your faith is strong, God sets you apart. So there are those moments where you can't hear from God and where faith is frustrating and, and like, or, or your life is frustrating and like it seems like you're cut off and you can't hear, taste, smell, see God. But what the word says, say the word. The word says that if your faith is intact, that God literally picks you up out of whatever situation you think you're in because physically you see it. But your spirit is always free. So God grabs you by your faith, picks you up, and puts you in a place where it's just you and him. When we look at the word, there are literally 26 times where God says, by his faith, he was healed. By her faith, she could see. By his faith, he could see. Remember last week when I was talking about uh, 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 the blind man? Remember, the act of him washing off the mud wasn't what got him to see. It was the faith on the inside of him that was obedient to the word of God. So that means that you can be going through the motions and not be using your faith and it's not working. Like, well, I did it. I prayed. I gave. I tithed. But the question is, was your faith attached? Ah! Look at your neighbor and say, is your faith attached? Like, have you welded it to it or have you just used a stapler? Ah! Have you used a needle and thread or have you literally like taken like hot glue, you know, that monkey glue? As kids, we used to put it in between our fingers and, like, rip our fingerprints off, and it was cool. But, like, God wants to know, is your faith just attached to what you want, or does, your, or does what you want come from your faith? So my title today is From Fault to Faith. From Fault to Faith. Now, I, I got to tell you um, just a, a really quick story. So um, this, this year, this past year, um, I, I had the opportunity 
to propose to like my best friend ever. And uh, she said yes, thank God. That, <laughs> because that would have been kind of embarrassing for me to say, hey, so we gonna do this and her to be like, mm, no, uh, that, that would have been, my faith would have been crushed. Um, but the funny thing about it is that people ask us every once in a while very lightly, and I'm not putting myself on a high horse, this is just my story. I'm just exposing myself so that God can get the glory in your life. That's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to say I'm better, whatever. But as we, were, um, as we were dating and courting, we did it on purpose. So like a year and a half, we walked through this thing where any person that we had identified in our life could check us at any point in the time. So case in point, Kylan would call me at 2 o'clock in the morning and be like, where's your laptop at? That's family. Okay, who am I talking to? Kylan would call me and be like, hey, bro, you good? Another friend of mine named Kiwan Hawkins who lives in Mississippi would call her and text me and be like, hey, bro, where are your hands at? Where's your heart at? Where's your mind at? And my dad would just randomly bust in the room and just be like, all right. Any parents know what I'm talking about? I mean, just bust in the room and just be like, all right, just, just want to check. But the crazy thing about our relationship is that through that time, God began to expose both of us to this point where we were so vulnerable that there were really good things and there were really bad things. But the crazy thing about it is that when I proposed, Vanessa told me something very, very, very simple. She said, now there are some good, there are a million reasons for me not to love you. And there are a million reasons for me to love you. But I'm going to make the decision to build my case before God on what I love about you. There are a million reasons for you not to trust God. You, you following me, Jason? There are a million reasons for you not to trust God. Somebody passed away in your family. You used your faith for cancer and the person passed away. But you want to know something else? There are equally and much more reasons to do what? Trust God. So my first point of the day. Ah! Sorry, I'm so excited. My first point of the day is this. Build a case in defense of God. It takes the same energy to be against something that it takes to be for something. Matter of fact, I would even go as far to say that you use more energy hating something than you do loving it. Because if you're made like God, that means that you do some things naturally like God. And God is love. So that means that you do it effortlessly. If you're using your energy to build your faith on things that you don't believe in, you're literally killing yourself. So the one cool thing about our relationship that's absolutely awesome is that I don't love her with my own strength. I love her through the faith of God and vice versa. But the problem with us, our faith begins to fail when we start to love God through our experience and not through our faith. So today what I'm hoping is through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the translator, I'm praying that if I share with you a couple of things, that you will not just hear it and feel good, but you'll actually have some strategy to walk out of these doors today and activate and build your faith. Look at your neighbor and say, build your faith. So when we look at the book of Job, everybody reads this book and they get really sad. Like God puts Job through the ringer. We get frustrated with God. But the funny thing about this book is that the entire time that you're reading the book of Job, Job has everything stripped from him. And it takes us 41 chapters for everything to be taken away from him. And two sentences for God to give it back to him. Like, for real, like, it takes 40, it's 40 chapters, 40 chapters to take everything, strip everything from him, and two verses, that means two sentences, two sentences for God to say, you know, everything that you had, I'm going to give you double. 
which means that your suffering will probably be longer than the two sentences that God is going to give you. Uh, because when Jesus was on the cross, all you hear is, it is finished. That's only three words. But there were chapters where he was beaten 39 times, where his flesh was ripped away, which means that the suffering might have been longer, but it wasn't greater than what... The su oh, my God. The suffering might have been long, and it might have been heavy, but it wasn't as big as the deliverance. Okay. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. So when we break up the book of Job, chapters 1 through 2 is this prologue. It's this prologue where we basically get all of the information that we need to know about Job, where he comes from, his characteristic traits, who he is, and how he works. The second part of this, of this story is chapters 3 through 37. Make sure you're taking your notes because this is going to be important for this next week. Because you ain't going to have no food to eat, so you got to read the most important food, which this is a periodic table of one. There's, there's like one pyramid. There's no, there's no food groups. It's just the word. <laughs> or as the old folks where we from say, worried. Worried. Say worried really slow. Worried. That's word. So chapters, the second part of this book is chapters 3 through 37, where there's this dialogue conversation between Job and his friends, between Job and the people that make the decision like, hey, our friend is hurting, and we're going to go and help him out. Job, this is how it happens in those verses, though. Job, Job speaks and says something to his friends. His friends respond back to him, basically questioning, hey, you know, everything that's happened to you, there might be a reason of why it's happened. But then Job always ends each chapter in, the, in that section with defending his innocence with the faithfulness of God. He doesn't respond how he feels. He responds how he faiths. Uh, uh, look at your neighbor. Say, stop responding how you feel. And respond how you faith. Chapters 38 through 41, which is the third part of this book, there are these poems from God to Job. It's the most beautiful thing because as Job is literally screaming at God and he takes his case to God and he's frustrated with him, God meets him and he doesn't yell at him. It's impossible to speak poems in a very aggressive way. You ever heard a, heard a poem and felt bad about yourself? No, they're beautiful. I think the reason why God writes poems to Job is the same reason why David wrote songs to God. Because when God has a poem, they rhyme. It's soothing. It's if he's singing over you. So that means that when you're in that point in life where you're trying to figure it out and it's all going to hell in a handbasket, God doesn't point his finger at you. He sings over your situation. As if to tell you, like, I'm not trying to be aggressive, but I want you to run to me rather than running towards what's attacking you. The fourth part is the 42nd, which is the prologue, which is the ending where we get to understand why everything happened to Job. So are you ready to jump into the word? Yes. Here we go. Job number one. Job one, one through three. So Job was a man who lived in Uz, or Uz, however you want to pronounce it. Underline this next part. He was honest inside and out, a man of his word, who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. Listen to this. He was also what? So you can love God and have stupid ducats. We don't believe in poverty in this house. Poverty is a stage of your life, but it's not where you set up your tent. He had seven, and this is how you knew he was wealthy. It wasn't by the money possessions, but it was by what his possessions could give to others. You will know if you are wealthy, not by how many commas you have after the zeros. You'll know by the way that you can bless people with the commas. Ah, listen, 
So Job, this is how we knew he was rich. God, thank you for your word. Okay, 7,000 heads of sheep, which means that he could do lamb chops for any and everybody. 3,000 camels, which means that he could get people to where they needed to go. He was the transportation. Look at him say, Uber. Uber. He had 500 teams of oxen, which means that we can use these oxen to plow the field so that everybody can eat. There's no way that you can call yourself wealthy if the people around you that you call your team are still hungry. I'm not wealthy if the people around me still got, if I could see your ribs. That means that I'm eating a li- up a little bit too much, and I need to teach you how to make your own bread. Say, make your own bread. Make your own bread. Oh, they're awake this morning, mama. Okay. He had 500 donkeys and a huge staff of what? Why would he put the word staff and servants together? Servants do work for free, but if they're staff, that means that you pay them. <laughs> this is the year that you stop doing things for free. Okay, I guess, who are my business owners? You gave somebody the best ideas of your brain. You gave them your time. You gave your resources. This is how I do this. This is where I print my t-shirts. This is how I do my designs. And you did it for free. And they're doing better than you. That's not to say that they're better than you, but this is your season to reap your harvest. Look at your neighbor and say, set your price. Set your price. Set your price. Set your price. Because the next group of people that are coming are going to pay you what you are owed. I don't know if they want it. The most influential man in all the East, and he loved God. The most, inf- that means that Job, we, we downplay Job like, oh, God took his house, his wife, and his family. No, 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 no. Job was the guy. Like, the, like when you look at, you know, remember I was talking about like with the headers, like those, those small numbers? If you click on them in one of the programs I have, it'll literally take you through, like, the history. Job was the consult to kings. When kings were running out of livestock, they would pay him to, for him to breed his best sheep, his best oxen, his best camel. And then what would happen is the king would get all the glory, but as much glory as he got, he had to pay Job the same amount of weight in gold. That's what it means to be salt. It's when you give somebody information that comes from the king, they present it, but God gets the glory privately. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So good. Somebody say, I love your word. So this is my first point. My second point. Establish your faith before it happens. Oh, my God. Before anything is taken away from Job, before he loses everything, what does the word say? It says, Job was a man who lived in ooze. He was honest inside and out, a man of his word who was totally what? Devoted to who? God. Before it happened. It's really difficult to see the importance of your devotion to God when it happens. But if you manifest the foundation of a strong faith life in God before it happens, it doesn't matter what comes down the line because at the beginning of the line, you've made up your mind. You don't build your faith in turmoil. You build it before it comes. It's the foundation of truth that before the manifestations of the world, God himself used his faith, which means before there was a son, God had faith. Oh, Before God said, let there be life, there should be another sentence there that says God had faith. Ah! Like, I want you to understand something. Like, the most important thing is your faith. It's not what comes afterwards. That's why you should pray a little bit differently. It shouldn't be, God, I need this, that, and the other. The first thing it says that, God, my faith stands true, that what you've done before has built where I am today. And I have, so, I have too much in my history 
Let me thank you for what built my faith before I ask you to activate it. We read the words so wrong. God said, let there be life. No, I think that God looked at himself like, okay, let's give them a ridiculous amount of faith that they're going to try to figure out for the next 2,500 years. NASA's still trying to figure it out. But I was watching this documentary with my dad, and they said, like, oh, yeah, there's a big bang. But the problem is, is that there's verbiage before the bang. Verbiage. Words. Which means that before it happened, something had to be said. But before it was said, faith had to be activated. Okay, let me move on. I got to move on. I got to move on. I got to move on. That's where to stay. Listen, somebody stand up and say, activate my faith. Can I blow your mind again? That means that when God created us, he didn't just create us. He spoke faithfully about the end before we were created. Oh, my God. That means that when God did this, he knew you were going to go through all that crap and be messy. But his faith was attached to the end of the story. When God looked at you, when God looked at Adam and Eve and he said, that's good. He knew what was going to happen in the garden. He didn't say that was good. What he called good was once they were redeemed. So when you use your faith, you're not talking to the situation. You're talking to the end. Stop trying to apply your faith to the middle of the story and use your faith to translate you to the end of it. Oh, my God. Can I move on? Point, point proven? Yes, sir. All right, cool. Man of God, you got to do it in public just like you do in private. Amen. So let's go to the fourth and, fourth and fifth verses. So listen, his sons used to take turns hosting parties. We don't know if they were good parties. We don't know if they were bad parties, but they were parties. They were getting it in. Turneth upeth. Right, Talisha? They would have them in their homes, and they were always inviting their three sisters to join them in their merrymaking. I need a towel because I feel like I'm about to preach, but I can't. I can't. Underline this part. When the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning and read it with me and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his what? thinking maybe one of them sinned by defying God inwardly. Job made a habit of this sacrificial atonement just in case they sinned. Six to the seventh. One day when the, angel, when the angels came to report to Job, oh, no, no, let, let, let's stay there. One thing about Job that was really awesome is that he filled the gap for the people that he loved, which means that your faith can be used for other people. Oh, my God. His children were having these parties. We don't know what was going on. It's not really written. But Job was so connected with God that he said, listen, what you gave me, what, what I have, all of these sheep, all of these camels, I don't want the people that I'm connected to to give me a bad rep with you. So when they go and do their dirt, God, let me set a sacrifice. Let me draw a line in the sand to prove to you this is who I am. I don't know what they're doing, but this is who I am. I don't know where they're going, but this is who I am. I know that they're on Facebook all day, but I'm really trying to consecrate and get my life right because this is who I am. I know that they drink and smoke. God, there's grace and there's mercy sufficient for them. But as for me and my body, my house, my temple, this has got to serve God. 
So what you need to understand is that sometimes if your faith isn't good enough and stuff is happening to you, I mean, stuff is happening around you but not to you, sometimes it's not your faith. Sometimes it's the faith of somebody that loves you enough to set a sacrifice before God and say, God, if you keep them through this one. Anybody got a praying granny or a praying mama? God, if, if you can get them through this one. Let me use my faith, which like all these things that you carried me through, God, if you can use just a little bit of that to cover this person, God, I'm going to give you all the glory. I'm going to give you all the honor. I'm going to give you all the Sometimes it's not your faith. Sometimes it's the faith of somebody else that has carried you through. Somebody say, carry me through. What? Anyway, okay. Six through seven. One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was a designated accuser, which means that even though he fell from glory, God still kept an account of him. People think that the Satan's just like on earth, just slithering around, doing whatever he wants. No, no, no. Every once in a while, God checks up on him like, hey. Yeah, so I need you to give me an account of what you're doing to my people so that I can give them the faith to counteract it when you come again. Oh, oh my God. God, I love your word. Oh, I'm an old 70-year-old. Oh, yeah, I figured that out. Okay. Who was designated accuser? He came along with them, with them, which means that there was a host. There was a council of angels that went to the highest places of God, and they would meet for every Monday morning staff meeting. That's, just, that's what the word says. I, just staff meeting. So God singled out Satan and said, what have you been up to? Which means that whatever happens with you, he has to answer to God for it. Uh, Satan answered God. And he says, I'm going here and there, checking things out on earth. Underline this. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. Honest and true in his word. Totally devoted to God and hating evil. God starts to root for Job. God is, God is 100% jealous, but God is just like a proud father. Like, that's my boy. You can't touch him. God is rooting for you everywhere that you go. Even if you can't see or feel it, God looks at the enemy and laughs and says, like, wow, you thought that that was going to take him out. But, like, that's great. Wait until you see what I got in store for you next week. Wow. He says, have you noticed my friend? My friend, not my son, my, my friend, Job. There's no one quite like him. Satan retorted, 9 through 10. He says, what? So do you think Job does all of that of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no. No one ever had, had it as good as he does. Because, God, you pamper him like a pet. You make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. And I'm like, duh. That's what the redeemed life is supposed to get. I'm not supposed... Like, once again, you see Genesis 1 in this verse. Like, everything I'm supposed to touch is supposed to turn to gold. Everything's supposed to be great. And, like, look at your neighbor and say, duh. duh. I'm with God. Like, I'm with the, I'm with that God, that guy. Like, what, yeah, everything's supposed to work. Duh. Like, I bet you God was in heaven, like, so get to the point. Like, and I'm God. I'm Yahweh. I'm the beginning and the end. I called you to be who you, like, I call and you have to come into the room. So, duh. Look at your neighbor and say, duh. Duh, I'm God. What the heck? Number 11. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and did what? Took away everything that is his. He'd curse you right in your face. That's what. If you don't hear anything that I say today, listen to verse number 12. 
God replied, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Go ahead. Do what you want to do with all that you wanted that is his. That is his, not him. Oh. Then God says, just don't hurt him. Then Satan left the presence of God. Sometimes the reason why the enemy comes to you so quickly is because he's had counsel with God on what's coming next. What? It says that immediately the, that Satan left his presence. So sometimes when the attack comes out of nowhere, you should actually use your faith to be like, ooh. ooh. The devil just left counsel with God, which means that God has something big, so he can't waste no time trying to destroy it. So he had to show up now. Y'all going to get excited in a second. I'm talking to seven people. I appreciate you. Where you at? I need, I need seven people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay. All right. Bet, 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 bet. Listen to this. God replied what? We'll see. God didn't use his faith. In that sentence, he takes his faith and places it in who? Job. God is placing his faith in you to walk through what you're going through. Jason said it this morning that you would be on fire and walk through the fire, but at the end of it, you won't smell like smoke. Somebody yelled, God is putting his faith in me. That's my third point. God is building a case on you. Remember, we're, we're, we're talking about faith and how in my relationship, there are so many different ways that you can build a case on the bad things of God. But if you build your case on the good things of God, it takes less energy. In the same way, God basically is betting on himself because when God puts his faith in you, he's virtually betting on himself because we are one and the same. Oh, so when he puts his faith in you, he's basically making a deposit in what he said is good. Because if God is good and holy and then he breathes into you, that means that what? We are good and holy. So when God says we'll see, he's not just talking to the enemy, he's talking to you. So when the enemy comes to you, like when like, like a flood that's raging and whatnot, instead of looking at the flood, you can look at God and be like, oh, we'll see. Y'all missed it. Like you'll be able to look at God rather than looking at your situation and look at your situation coming at you and look at God and be like, oh, this is just another opportunity for my faith to flex. Woo! This is just another opportunity for my, faith, for my faith to get swole up and look at my situation and be like, duh. Look at your neighbor and say, my faith, my faith is fighting for me. Point number four. In the next verses, Job loses absolutely everything. Which means what? There is always, there, not sometimes, not maybe, like look at your neighbor and say, you can count on it. If there's another level of elevation, you can, there's, a, there's always another level of suffering. The only way that you know that you're going in the right direction in video games is when somebody's shooting at you. 
We use that principle in every other part of life except for when we give our lives to God. And I'm trying to let you know that you are literally, like, insane to believe that you are going to hook your life up with the one good source and think that there's no suffering that comes with it. You have to understand there is always a season of So when it comes, don't blame God. Blame yourself because you used your faith to get to this level. Now you're going to have to use that same faith to fight the suffering that comes in this season. Somebody say hallelujah. Look at your neighbor. Say it takes the same faith. It's the same faith. The same faith that you have to use to get out of your seat is the same faith you have to use to lift your hands. It's the same faith you have to say, I believe in my heart and trust in my The same faith when cancer hits your body. It's the same faith when you need money. It's the same faith when you get sick. It's the same faith when you lose your teeth. It's the same faith when your child is doing everything else. It's the same faith. It's the same. It's, it's the same faith to pull out a splinter. It's the same faith to make some eggs. And it's the same faith to look at a mountain and say, be cast out. What I want to make sure you understand is that your faith isn't categorical. It is the category. Like, your faith doesn't work in certain situations. Your faith is the situation. I'm trying to build your faith this morning. But whatever you're asking for, if it's big, the suffering has got to be big. Because the suffering proves if your faith was real or not. Oh, my God. So God tells Jesus, he says, yo, I'm about to wipe everybody out. I'm done. I'm killing them all. Jesus goes to God and says, hey, leave them as dirty as they are and send me. The Great Commission, send me. The reason why that is, is that Jesus' faith had to be matched by huge suffering. Meaning that he couldn't be shot in the head, he couldn't be drowned, and he couldn't be choked out. No, as big as his faith was, that's how big he had to suffer. That's why he had to be crucified in front of thousands of people to match his faith. What do you have your faith being built for? If the suffering is a little bit too much for you to bear, that means that your faith is right where it needs to be. Look at your neighbor and say, it's right where it needs to be. Look at yourself and say, I'm right where I need to be. There is always, always a season of suffering. And we are crazy as Christians to believe that we will not suffer. Because nine times out of ten, whoa, I don't know what that was. Whoa, okay. Whoa, okay, whoa, okay, 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 get, it, get together. Whoa, it's different when he's in the room. Whoa, okay, give me like two seconds, okay. <laughs> whoa. I totally forgot where I was going. Faith, right? Listen. The level of which you are suffering is going to prove the level of your faith. Remember in the book how we talked about the parts? Remember the first part of Job is the prologue. It's the beginning of the story. That's what your faith is. The middle of the story is the suffering. But at the end of it is the proof of your faith, which is the reward from God. Look at your neighbor and say, suffering, suffering. Seasons, seasons are always, always. Necessary. necessary. So Job goes through this time. Listen to this. And in the next, when I say, look at your neighbor, say the next three chapters. That's a long season. Three chapters. It's about 10 to 15 pages. Job loses, he doesn't just lose everything. It's like literally taken from him. It's one thing for me to take this from myself, take this from somebody, It's another thing for me to take this, put a grenade in it, throw it over my shoulder, and it explodes. Like, you can't get it back by your own might. 
So in the next verses, Job loses everything. Messengers come back with news. Remember, right, after, right before this verse, before God has counsel with Satan, remember, what is, what is Job doing? He's giving offerings. So at the same time that Job is sitting here sanctifying his life, as he's giving up the offerings for his children, messengers are coming to tell him that they're gone. Which means that it's important that you establish your faith before it happens. Because it's going to be really hard to hear God when you're not on your knees. Look at your neighbor and say, things sound a little bit clearer. The closer you get to your face. Oh. That's why God loves our worship in prostrate because the closer you are to the ground, the lower you are, the more God can speak to you. If you're standing up looking at your situation, I know the world tells you on two feet that you're the strongest, but in this thing that we call the kingdom, this is my strongest position. And nine times out of ten, this one's even more strong than the one before. Because what this says is, God, look, I ain't got nothing to stand on the foundation, so I'm going to lay on my faith. Because what my eyes see is going to deceive me. But if I can lay into this place that I've made for you, God, <laughs> I can have everything I need. So Job, looks, Job loses everything. Job loses all of his animals. They're attacked by random enemies. Like, Job doesn't even have context for these enemies that attack his animals. Like, usually you'd be able to say, like, the Cushites and the Mistites and the, the Have-Notsites and whatnot. Job has, like, they can't even, like, we don't know who. We don't know who came and killed all the animals, but they came and slaughtered all of them. And when you look at it in the King James Version, they don't even take the meat. Sometimes things around you are killed, and the devil just wants to make sure that you see what he did. It's one thing for me to kill your dog or to kill your chickens and to take them and eat them. That hurts. But for me to kill them and leave them there means that I only did it to hurt you. I want you to understand something. When you are experiencing hurt, pain, and suffering, the enemy's not trying to teach you a lesson. He's just trying to get underneath your skin. He has no power to affect the way that you think. All he can do is change the situations around you to try and change the way that you think. That's why when we pray, we say, God, touch my mind. You can't tell the enemy, to get, you can't tell the enemy don't touch my mind. He doesn't have the power to. Oh, Jesus. The second thing that happens, another messenger runs, and he says, hey, bro, uh, so some lightning struck the sheep and the shepherds. Uh, the third thing, uh, the Chaldeans killed all the camels and their drivers. Then another one runs up, and he says, hey, Job, uh, so all your cheering, it was like twisting that thing. Like they just, whew, they, they took it. Y'all seen that video? The guy was eating a hamburger, and a tornado came through, and he says, where the hamburger? He oh, it took it. That's what happened. His kids was took. So the same thing that he was giving God praise for and giving God worship for is now taken away. Make sure that you lean into this. Listen to this, the 20th verse. Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground and worshiped. What? So that means he was here praying, God gave me everything that I need, take care of my children. He gets word that everything that he just prayed for is taken away. So he stands up, strips himself, cuts off his hair, and does it, and he yells at God. He yells at the messengers. He curses everything. He's like, man, my kids, like, you weren't doing right. What does he do? He goes back to the first position, which is his faith. He doesn't respond to what happened. He doesn't respond to who said what. What he does in his response is he gets down back on his knees, and he says, look, God. 
Because the same faith that it took me to get it is going to be the same faith to restore it. So good. So good. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. He says this to God. Write this down. Verse 20 and 22. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will return to the womb of the earth. God gives and God takes. God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all of this did Job do what? Wait a minute. So if I put the fault on God, that, that sin? Wait, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. I, th- I thought that God is almighty and omnipotent. If I say, God, you need to take care of this for me. But, like, but if it's not in your faith, that means that you're trying to tell God what to do. And that means that you think that your plan is better than his, who is almighty and omnipotent. So that means that when you go to God and you take your case and you want to give him your faults and not your faith, then it's sin. Never heard that one before, have you? God, I can't believe that you had this happen. Whoa, chill out. Look at your neighbor and say, chill out. The most important part of this part of our story is that Job had made his his decision to use his faith before. The reason why you have instructions and why you read them before is for when stuff happens, you don't have to think. You just go to step number one. Activating your faith is step number one. So it beca- once you do something over and over again and you practice it and you build it, it becomes your first initial reaction to something. But you cannot expect to use your faith first in every situation if you've never practiced. You get sick, let's go to the doctor. Go to the doctor, most definitely, because God has this, he's given the power of God to the power of man that like somebody doesn't have a brain tumor or somebody that doesn't have HIV or somebody that doesn't have a certain sickness doesn't have to have it to cure it. I get that. But did you activate your faith before you pressed 402-123-12345? If you activate your faith first, you're using the instruction manual of the kingdom. If your first reaction is to see what you can do, you're not doing it correctly. So the next thing, the first thing that's taken is your provision. The first thing that the enemy will always attack is your means to take care of yourself. Because that's usually when our faith fails is when we can't take care of ourselves. Once we get sick, we ask God. But if he takes our money, man, I got to figure out how to get some more bread. No, 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 no. That's the wrong way to think about it. If your money's being attacked, remember, that means that Satan had counsel with God, which means something big is coming. So instead of asking for more work, you should get on your knees and ask God for strategy to handle what's coming after the season of suffering. So the enemy takes everything from him physically, I mean, everything from him that, that's tangible. But then the enemy does something very peculiar, and he takes away his health. Say his health. In Job 2, 7 through 8, it says, Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to toe. They, they itched and oozed so badly that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself, then went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. His wife said, still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Marry the right one. Are they going to meet your issue with their feelings or with your faith. I can say this because I have a woman that loves to pray and is attaching her faith. And she doesn't just attach her faith to God. She's attached her faith to my mom's. So if she's attached to my mom's in faith, I'm straight. That's why you don't court or date women that are afraid of your mother and don't want to approach her. Let me, let me, that's not, a, that's in the word? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a subtext. That's a subtext. Yep. Yep. 
I'm going to share my notes. I'm going to airdrop them if you want glory. Okay. <laughs> His wife said, still holding on to your precious integrity. Are you curse God and be done with it? But then listen to what he tells her. You're talking like an empty-headed fool. That's not disrespectful. Is he being honest? We started this relationship on faith, and now you're coming to me with your feelings. That's not how this works. We take the good days from, from God. Why not also take the bad days? Job is literally like an inch away from death. Like his, like his ligaments are hanging on by threads of skin, and he looks at her like she crazy. That's why you can be going through hell in a handbasket, and people can be looking at you like you're going terrible, but you look at them like, I'm not the one that's sick. Not once through all of this did Job do what? Which is means he didn't take his case to God and say that it's your fault. We're going from fault to what? Faith. He said nothing against God. Now listen to this next part. Because this is like the most important thing ever. The fifth point is that your suffering always provides a circle. I want to make sure that you understand something. When something new comes into your life, at the same level that that is introduced, a new group of friends, a new group of people, a new group, a new posse is going to be introduced as well. But there's going to be two. There's going to be one group of people that are going to remind you of all the bad things that you've went through. They're going to say, man, this looks really, really scary. This looks really, really terrible. We need to start chemo yesterday. Like, you need to take all this stuff. The other group is going to do something very peculiar, which is they are going to join up with your faith before they join up with your feelings. So in chapter 3, while Joe, his wife, God didn't even kill his wife. She just left. Which means sometimes people leave. I'm not going to chase after you faster than you're running away from me. Because this is the funny thing. Some people don't want to be caught. They find enjoyment by seeing how far you chase them because it makes them feel loved. No, 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 no. Look at your neighbor say, Ch stop chasing. Stop chasing. So he has these four interactions with these four friends of his. And these four friends of his, they all come in the God quality. And they all bring these certain questions to him. The first friend that comes to him is Eliphaz. Can you say Eliphaz? Eliphaz brings this question to Job, this, this context. This is what Eliphaz says. I want you to put his name for every one of them. I want you to put their name and what, he, what they bring to him, okay? What you're going to put, their name, and then what they brought to him. Eliphaz comes and he says, don't blame fate, period. This is what Eliphaz tells Job. He says, listen, bad things don't just happen, but it is all a part of life. And I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He reminds Job of how good God is inherently, not situationally. You don't look for God to be good in every situation because sometimes the situation won't be enough to tell you how good God is. What we have to understand is that inherently, by God's nature, he's good. Job 5-7, through seven, Eliphaz says to Job, he says, don't blame fate when things go wrong. Trouble doesn't come from nowhere. It's human morals. It's, it's human mortals are born and bred for trouble. He says, we're born and bred for trouble, which means, like I said before, that season of suffering, you're built for it. As certainly as sparks fly upward. The next friend that comes, his name is Bildad. What's his name? And the question and the phrase that he brings to Job is God doesn't mess up. So for 10 chapters, there's a dialogue between, I'm sorry, for 10 verses, there's a dialogue between Eliphaz and Job. Remember, all the while, Job is sick. 
He has ulcers. Like he's like, he's lost everything. And his friends are not talking to him. They're talking to his faith. <laughs> Bildad says to him, he says, everything falls within an order and a balance. A balance that calls for things that are not easily understood by man, but are supposed to be held with understanding by God. That's why we read the word and it says that God works in mysterious ways. It's not that he's trying to keep things away from you. It's just that we don't have a context enough to understand it. You want God to explain to you why sickness and all these things comes from. That's great. What if he really gave you the doctorate level of how it works? We don't have context to understand it. So that's why God says, just put your faith, just trust me. Just trust that I'm inherently good. So when bad things happen to you, instead of saying, God, you're a terrible God, it's like, no, 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 no. Remember what I told you when we started this faith walk? A lot of you, when you gave your life to God, what God says to you is says, hey, I'm good. I'm all of these different things. When you go through bad times, you don't look at the bad times and judge him in the situation. You judge him at the conception of your new birth. That's why when you get married, they say, if you go and when you fall on hard times, remember the decision that you made, which is covenant. Which is so important because your faith is a seal. It's a covenant with God. You cannot have covenant with God without your faith. You can't. You can sacrifice all the animals you want. Blood runneth over. But if there's no covenant through your faith, you can't have it. So in Job 8, 20 through 22, Bildad says to Job, there's no way that God will reject a good person. And there is no way he'll help or bad one. God will let you laugh again. You'll raise the roof with shouts of joy, with your enemies thoroughly discredited, their house of cards collapsed. What Bildad reminds Job of is this. God doesn't mess up. If he allowed it to happen to you, he's going to use it. The third person that comes to Job is this guy named Zophar. What's his name? And the phrase that Zophar brings to him is this. We don't have context to fully understand God. For three chapters, Zophar talks to Job, and Job, remember how I talked about Job would say something, then his friends would say something, and then he would rebuttal? Zophar ain't playing that. That means you need a friend in your life that really doesn't care about what you think. He's going to keep hitting you with the word every time that you have something else to say. Well, you know, but, well, in Zephaniah 6, 17. Well, you know what? Well, in Matthew eleven thirty three. 33. Well, you know what? Well, in Genesis 1, 26, which means that I'm not speaking from my flesh. I'm speaking from my spirit. Zophar says, man doesn't have enough context to fully understand hurt and pain. Truth is on the inside, and it starts with what? Belief. Write this down. The manifestation of what you want to see with your physical eyes first begins with spiritual belief. If you want to see it with your eyes, you have to tap in with your spiritual eyes before you see it. God doesn't create chairs. He creates trees. Which means that he has to, when a carpenter looks at a tree, he has to use his spiritual eyes to see the chair he wants to design. Yeah. Then he grabs the tree, molds it, and shapes it into what he wants. In the same way, God doesn't just see you as a spirit. He sees you as a king. That's why when he looked at the dirt, he was able to see you. When God looked at the dirt that he created us in Genesis 1.26, he saw himself. Which means that God doesn't create finished products. He starts with a process. Oh, look at your neighbor. Say, I'm progressing. I'm, progressing. I'm, not I'm not perfect. God is interested in your, in your progression, not your perfection. So in Job 11, 7 through 12, he says, do you think you can explain the mystery of God? This is his friend. Like, I'm dying. And you, really, you coming at me like this? He's like, yeah, um, yes, yes, I am. He says, do you think you can explain the mystery of God? Do you think you can diagram God Almighty? 
Can you fit God on a page? Can you put him in a book? Can you create a website that could contain the greatness of God? I'd like to see you try. God is far higher than you can imagine, far deeper than you can comprehend, stretching farther than the earth's horizons, far wider than the endless ocean. If he, happen, if he happens along, throws you in jail, then hauls you into court, can you do anything about it? <laughs> he sees through vain pretentiousness, and he spots evil a long way off. No one pulls the wool over his eyes. Hollow men, hollow women will wise up about the same time mules learn to talk. Job curses out his friend. He says, listen, by the time those donkeys that, all, that, 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 that you lost, they're going to learn to talk before you give your faith to God. You need some friends in your life that are going to be more honest with you, that are willing to hurt your feelings to get you to faith. Because it's going to hurt. This season of suffering is going to hurt. Sometimes that season of suffering isn't sickness. Sometimes that season of suffering isn't losing something. Sometimes that season of suffering is having a friend that is willing to speak truth to you rather than telling you a lie. Well, I can't believe they took this away from me. Well, you didn't show up on time. Well, they're just mean to me, but you literally carry a spirit of fatigue. You, scare, you carry a spirit of frustration. You, 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 you are carrying unforgiveness. So why would anybody want to be friends with you? I don't even want to be friends with you, but God sent me, and I know that if I don't obey him, I ain't going to get what I need to do, so let's get this over with. <laughs> but listen to this. Say Job's final friend. There are four. One, two, three, four. It says, man by the name of Elihu. Now, what we understand, if you do a little bit of deep searching, Elihu is a, um, it's, it's a, it's a Hebrew name. And Elihu basically means the bridge of God. God, I love your word. Which basically means that with that name, the minute that you walk into a situation, your job isn't to prove God. Your job isn't to be the attorney to prove the case of God. Your job is to be the truth that stands in between what the person's going through and the realization of who God is. So when Elihu jumps into this conversation and he travels to talk to Job, what he is doing is he is presenting Job with proof that God is good. No, he's proving him with truth that God is good. Proof means if you can prove something right, at some point in time you can prove it wrong. But if something is true, that means that there is no, there's no reason, it will never go bad, which means that in your situation you need to have at least one friend that will always present you with the truth, not the proof. I can prove to you that God is good. No, 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 God is inherently good because he's good. But listen to what Elihu says, says to Job. Jo, uh, um, Elihu doesn't come to Job with a question. He doesn't come to Job with a phrase. He comes to Job with help. What he brings to Job is this phrase, I'll walk it out with you. you it's impossible to walk through your faith life alone when you begin. Your job is to become a full Christian, right? You're supposed to be big, strong, and bulky. But we can't expect you to be that type of faith walker in the beginning, which is why it is important when you join and you tap into AWC and you give your heart to God that you need to join a net group. You need to join. Not that you should or it's a great idea. You need to serve. 
you need to tap into some other people that have some proof of their faith. Because in the beginning, it's usually the hardest because you want all these big expectations from God. And God doesn't get you much. He gives you a lot of truth. He gives you a lot of knowledge. And in order for you to walk through this faith walk, you need to do it hand in hand with somebody else that has stronger faith than you. That's what the last friend of Job brings him. Now listen, he says it's impossible for God to do evil. We do not have enough context to question certain things. Listen to this. Job 33, 5 through 7. This is what he says to Job. And if you think you can prove me wrong, do it. Lay out your arguments, Job. Uh, we've been talking for seven chapters. Tell me as much as you want, but I'm still going to keep pointing you to the fact that God is good. I don't care what your explanation is. God's good. Well, he killed my mom. God's good. We have to believe it. In a way, you have to become spiritually insane, where you are literally brainwashed by the word of God. When you're brainwashed by the word of God, you don't speak. The word flows out of you. Oh, my goodness. That's another sermon. So he says, stand up for yourself. Look, I'm human. No better than you. He levels with Job. He says, we're both made of the same kind of mud. So let's work this thing through together. Don't let my aggressiveness overwhelm you. Because God sent my aggressiveness because it's the right tool for what you're going through. Now, can I show you something? Okay. Can you bring me my prop, please? Look at your neighbor and say, we can't handle the truth. In the next couple of chapters, we see Job, after he meets with his friends, he takes his entire case, right? Remember how he's been building a case to prove in front of God. He takes, uh, he, he, he takes his case to God. But before that happens, it says that his friends, they came to him while he was sick. Say while. while. They didn't wait until he was better and then go and try to pray over him and say, like, hey, look what we did. So this is a weighted blanket. Anybody have one of these? Like when I say weighted, I mean like, like weighted. Um, v Vanessa bought me this, and then I bought one for my mom. But the cool thing about this blanket is that if you have any children that are on the spectrum, what this does is that it, it, it helps them because it gives them this thought that they're covered. It gives them this thought that at all points of their body, they're receiving the same pressure like a hug. So I sleep with it because I just like the weight of a blanket. But I didn't realize it, that what it does is that it helps take care of like anxiety and stress and frustration. So it means that in order for me to get my deepest sleep, there's a certain level of pressure that I need. So this is going to represent everything that's happened to you. So what happens is, is that with Job, his children are taken, his wife leaves him, the animals are slaughtered, everything is taken away, right? His kids, his kids, his kids are, are, are taken away. And it seems like sometimes when stuff happens to you, it seems like fault, like literally rests on your shoulders, where, where you take on the responsibility that what happened to you is your fault. It's a weighted blanket. This is 50 pounds, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not small, but, I mean, it takes some effort to the point of where, like, I, I, I'm not going to be really able to, like, do much with this. And what happens is, is that we can succumb to fault more than what happened to us. So we literally will cover ourselves up in what happened to us because we don't want to trust God or use our faith. I'd rather feel sorry for myself. So instead of seeing me and seeing me through the correct lens, what you see is my fault. What happened is my fault. 
Everybody has that person in their life that every time you talk to them, they only talk about what happened to them, and it gets frustrating. Well, you know my, my sickness. Well, you know my pain. Well, you know my dead marriage. But the funny thing about it is that as Job was sitting there lamenting under things that he thought was his fault, his friends came. And it seemed like from the north, the south, the east, and the west, that his people came. Now remember, Job is under fault. He's under what happened to him. So he's not able to see what's going on. But what we have to understand is that at the same time that Job was going through what he was going through, that these friends had to have been moving in his direction. Oh, my God. So at the same time that he lost his kids, at the same time that he lost his friends, at the same time that he lost the animals, the people that we see, those four guys that we were just talking about, that means we have to assume that they were moving in his direction while he was going through his season of suffering. There is a group, a person, a people that is moving in your direction as you're dealing with what you're dealing with. But Job is still wrapped up in fault. If you're wrapped up in fault, it will be impossible to see resources around you that are supposed to help you. So then, in the word, is this good to anybody? So then, in the word, what happens is, is that Job is being crushed underneath the weight of his fault. But the people around him who have stronger faith than him are circled around him, and they can see what he doesn't see. But it's not judged by their eyes. It's not judged by what they see here. It's what they see spiritually. So as Job is sitting here, his first two friends, they remove the weight of fault. They remove the weight of fault, but Job is still sitting here. Remember, the first two said that God is good, so it's not your fault. The second friend said that God is just a good God, so it's not your fault. So the next two friends, what do they do? They help build him up. But remember, Job is sick. So Job doesn't have any strength. I can't do this by myself, which means that you need some friends that are on your level that can carry your weight. Look at your neighbor and say, carry my weight. I need y'all to pick me up because there's a time where I know I'm 245, but I need you to pick me up. Stop doing life with people that can't hair carry you. But this is the crazy thing. I need, I need, I need my blanket back, and I'm going to close it out. I got two more points, but I think this is going to set somebody free right here. This is the crazy thing about what happens with Job. In the word, it says that as Job was going through his fault, you see how there's two sides of this blanket? There's a ridge side and a smooth side. The ridge side is, is, is the fault, but the other side is the faith of God. Woo! So what happens is, is once they remove the fault from him, him and his friends, they make a place where they look at the faith of God. And what Job does is that what was once on top of him he sits on top of. Listen. Listen. But you want to know the crazy thing about suffering? Look at, ask me. What's the crazy thing about suffering? What's the crazy thing about suffering? Look at your neighbor. Say, what's the crazy thing about suffering? Is that the same friends that helped him get out of fault, they join him. <laughs> they join him. They join together. In their faith, it says that when the friends came to him, they sat for seven days and didn't say anything. And they didn't sit in sorrow. They sat in the goodness of God. So that means that whatever I'm going through, 
If I got these fellas with me, my strength, my faith doesn't have to be strong because I got two other people on this side and two people on this side. Which is why it is important to show up to church on time. Because a lot of us that are coming in here, we're not just walking in. Some people look like Job. They're crawling in. God, why has this happened to me? God, how could you allow this to happen to me? There are people in this room that got the worst news of their life in the past 48 hours. But if you can get into the house and link your faith together with somebody else, they can turn your fault into faith. Somebody give God a shout of praise right where you are. I need you to make it big. From fault, from, from fault to what? From, from fault to fatigue. No, from fault to fear. No, from fault to frustration. No, from fault to faith. Now, this is what I need you to do because this is your altar call. I need you to stand to your feet. Every single person in the building, stand to your feet.